0: And all of that, and uh, of course, my wife's Facebook is really good. People enjoy that. And uh, so anyway, that's what's happening. Well, tonight we are in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 to 22 in our in-depth Bible study here on Wednesday evenings. And Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name, by the power of your word, you give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church tonight, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we looked last time and saw that Christ is the preeminent one. The word they used at that time was firstborn, which didn't mean all the time the first child born, it meant the greatest of whatever area it was. And as a matter of fact, we looked at several places were the firstborn uh, uh, people that are referred to, like Jacob, who clearly had an older brother Esau, uh, was called the firstborn, and uh, Manasseh, even though he was the second after Ephraim, Joseph's boys, he was called the firstborn. And and uh, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's not the first person raised from the dead. There's people in the Old Testament raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead, but is Jesus the greatest one that ever raised from the dead? Yeah. Without that, we would not be here tonight. And so we finish there in in Colossians 1, verse 18 and 19. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And notice verse 19. It pleased the Father. It rejoiced the Father that in Jesus All the fullness should dwell. We'll see later in Colossians 2.9. In Jesus, all the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. The Lord our God is one Lord, but yet he's in three distinct persons. The Father, first person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and then the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in full submission to the Father, did all things well, and it pleased the Father. But it tells us that when Jesus gave his life for us, that now it's the Father, the first person of the Trinity's joy, that all of mankind and all things created would give him glory, his Son Jesus, our Savior, above all, and that uh, is his heart. Even though the Father is the first person of the Trinity, it's Jesus, it's the joy of the Father that we would exalt Jesus as we saw in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God, referring to the Father, also is highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth, those who are under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To who? To the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus is above all. All the fullness that we can see in God, which we can't. He's infinite. Yet all the character, all the love, all the grace, all the wisdom, all the power was in the body of Jesus. So bodily, 100% man. In spirit, 100% God. But yet he came 100% into human flesh, and there we will be able to behold the glory of the Father through the Son in human flesh. Now, this is important because we're going to discover that in the New Testament, Colossians is one of those books, First John, the Apostle John, had to fight a group called the Gnostics. And, And their beliefs were that everything material was evil and sinful. And therefore, Jesus, they believed him as their Lord and Savior, never could have came into human flesh because... Everything material is sinful, and Jesus can be sinful. So Jesus was an emanation. And if you could have saw Jesus walking on the beach, he wouldn't have left a footprint. And everything that looked human, bodily, was actually just looked like that. And so when he was on the cross, that really wasn't him on the cross, it was an emanation of him on the cross. And uh, it was just a pretend sort of death and a pretend sort of re- resurrection. And, and we're going to get there in First John where he just says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so, as all cults, they want to minimize Jesus. They want to change the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. And so we don't come to the Bible and say, we have these preconceived ideas, now let's make the Bible say that. We simply say, this is God's word. He reveals himself as he reveals himself, and we accept it, because that's what he's revealing. And so you say, well, that's really not part of our problems today. Trust me. The heresies of Satan... It's just a roller coaster. It goes away, comes back. It's just, it comes and it goes. So the Lord's preparing us for one of these doctrines of demons in the last days, no doubt. Interesting that the Gnostics broke into two groups. One group said, since everything's sinful, have nothing to do with it. Try to live only in the spirit. And and they denied themselves of all earthly pleasure. The other group says, God only cares about your spirit. Do whatever you want in your body. God could care less. You know, get drunk, commit adultery. It doesn't matter because the body's immaterial. It's irrelevant. It's where are you at in your spirit with God? So you had two very diverse groups. Well, in Colossians chapter tonight, with that in mind, he says, and by him, Jesus... To reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And so notice at the beginning of this verse, by him to reconcile all things. And then by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It's by him. He did it. I love that final statement on the cross. To die paid in full. I love the English translation. It is finished. He did it all, right? He completed the work. He paid the price. There are sins to be completely forgiven. And then we would have his righteousness as a gift. That by his righteousness, now we will be accepted by the Father into heaven forever and ever and ever. We see this with the thief on the cross, right? Sinning, 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 cursing Jesus on the way to the cross. Even on the cross, if you look at all three Gospels, he was mocking Jesus, but yet he came to his senses. Jesus, Lord, if you compare all the Gospels, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What did he do to be saved? Pretty lousy prayer, actually. His feet were tight, his hands were tied. He could do nothing because it didn't matter because Jesus paid it all. And therefore, by believing in that finished work of Christ, we're saved. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Trusting in God, continuing to trust in God. So let's say for an example that I took you over to Bud's Jolly Cone for lunch. And there, I buy you that hamburger, that's amazing, and and some of those uh, fried okra, what's that? The other cheeseburger, yes. Some fried okra there, some fried mushrooms. And uh, it, it comes out to $16.50, and I said, I'd like to treat you, and I paid for it. And the guy eats the lunch. You're you're there eating with me, and and you you say, this is a lot of food. This is really good. Are you sure you paid enough? Yeah, I paid what they asked me to pay. I paid it. And a few days later, I see him at church. You know, I'm still a little bit concerned that you paid the full bill for that lunch. Are you a little worried, too? It's like, I haven't even thought about it. Are you kidding me? Man, I had the dream last night. The police came knocking at my door saying, we didn't pay the full amount for Jolly Cone. You owe, and i got to arrest you right now. And then another scene where I'm on the television. Man wanted. Insufficient payment in Bud Jolly Cone. And I woke up in this sweat, and I thought, man, I've got to talk to you. And uh, he goes over to Ollie and Teresa saying, hey, I was over there the other day and Brian bought me lunch and I just, I've been worried every day since. And they're like, well, you know, it's all computerized. You know, whatever it was, it was. And uh, well, I bought this and this and this and that. 16 dollars yeah, sounds about right. Um, and three weeks later, they, they still are nervous and worried and, and sleepless and they're still wondering. And what's going to happen? It's going to start getting irritating, isn't it? They come calling all day at 2 in the morning. Man, I can't get to sleep. Just tell me one more time. Isn't that, that's a ridiculous analogy, isn't it? Probably won't use it next time. But no. But you can see that there there has to be this faith of saying, it's paid, relax, forget about it. And the fact that you can't trust that it was paid in full begins to get rather weird and irritating. And in essence, we are going to find here in these next few verses that through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, he did all of the work. Imagine another analogy. I adopt a child. Me and Cheryl adopt this beautiful little six, seven-year-old boy. And uh, and we have four kids of our own. And we bring them into our home. and 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 we say, here's your room. And here's your brothers and sisters. And... Of course, we've been getting to know him over the, the months, and, and so his first day there, he's at the dinner table and just dressed just right, perfect manners. Well, would you like some more? No, 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 I don't want to eat any more than, than I want to make sure everybody else has plenty. And Well, I don't know, you're a grown boy, you didn't eat that much, have, have seconds. No, no, no. And I'm in fact, I'm going to get up and do the dishes right now. And he goes in there and starts doing all the dishes and and washing everything up and we're just like, you know, this is not really necessary. And I say, hey, it's time for bed. And boy, he just goes right in, gets completely ready, brushes his teeth. It's lazy in bed perfectly, everything just right. And he come in going, oh, just wanted to, to say good night. I did exactly what you said. I brushed my teeth. I got ready for bed immediately. I said, yeah, that's a great example for the other kids. I usually have to fight them for an hour, so that's pretty nice. And then the next day, we get him mop out to school. And about 3 o'clock, we get this knock at our front door. And there he is, saying, hey, uh, I'm home. May I come in? Why are you knocking? This is your home. Well, I didn't want to be presumptuous. And he comes in and starts doing his homework. And, and then it repeats with the dinner. With, and then Saturday comes. And I'm watching a football game, and he comes in, and he says, hey, Dad, can I get you some potato chips? Hey, can I can I rub your feet a little bit? It's a beautiful Sunday. Everybody's out playing. Why don't you go play with him? No, no, I want to be right here with you, Dad. And he's trying to enjoy the game. You can tell he doesn't know what's going on. And, and, and he's like, hey, can I get you some more soda? I, I just got a new one. No, no thanks. Okay, can I, can I rub your shoulders a little bit? And then it repeats, and the next day he's knocking on the front door again. I mean, isn't there a point that he won't accept that this is his home and his family and to rest and enjoy it a grief to us? I mean, we'd get his little face and say, stop trying to be the perfect child. We're not kicking you out of here. I know you say that, but... You know, I'm, I've heard some horror stories. You know, it's it's a done deal. You are permanently here in our home. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. There's just that point where if you cannot convince them, if they cannot have faith that they are now a part of the family, what grief and worry and sorrow it is to them. I mean, eventually they're going to have a little nervous breakdown, aren't they? And, of course, the parents, not able to convince them that they are accepted, that this is their home, this is their family, as if they had been born into it. What what a great tragedy that would be. And so, in the same way, faith is just not saying, I believe, I believe, and hanging on by your fingertips, you know, like you're falling off a cliff. Oh, man, I believe, I believe. It's where you have faith where there's joy in it. Satan comes and condemns us and says, yeah, you're not worth much. I know. But Jesus chose me. You're a sinner. I know I am, devil. I'm a, the chief of all sinners. But the Lord paid for all my sins. Well, when the Lord picked you, he picked a lemon. I know. He must have wanted a lemon. Yes, thank you, Lord. You, you see, there's just that faith that says, God started it, God did it, God completed it. And it's to his joy that he has accepted me into his beloved. So what's faith look like? A joy in that, a rest in that. He adopted me, let him enjoy that. He's brought me into his household, let me rest in that. It's by him. He finished it. Now we got to believe it. In First Corinthians 1:30 and 31, it says, But of him, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Lord, I'm I'm bothered, I'm worried. Why Brian I don't have any wisdom. I'll become wisdom for you. Lord I don't have any righteousness I'm such a sinner. I became righteousness for you. Lord I'm, I'm trying to live a holy life a set apart life but the things I know what to do I do the things I do and I became sanctification for you. Lord am I really going to heaven? Yes. <laughs> By him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for you redemption. So now that's glory. Not in ourselves, not in our own righteousness, not in our works, but it's glory that God finished it. Every sin. I've got a lot of sins. He paid for them all. But i got some really deep, dark, gooey sins. He paid for those too. In First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself. This is emphatic in the Greek. It means by himself with no aid. Nobody else a part of this. Now may the God of peace, shalom, healing, wholeness, completeness, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is what? Faithful. And he also will do it. Isn't that awesome? This is is where faith turns into joy, into rest, into a certainty that God has done it, God has promised it. And therefore, I can rest in him. And then it goes on to say, by him, he reconciled all things. We understand reconciliation, right? We've all lived and had broken relationships. And there's just a deep desire in us to see people reconciled to ourselves, isn't it? We don't want people out there bitter us and, and all awkward every time they see us. and they, they, We want things to be reconciled. With all our power, it's not always up to us, is it? <laughs> we used to go down to Mexico City quite a bit, largest city in the world. And uh, there was a story where a dad who had been estranged from his son for many, many years... Then he read the papers, and, and so he put an ad in the paper, and he said, Paco, please forgive me. Please, let's be together again. I'll be this Saturday at a certain, certain fountain at a certain, certain location at a certain, certain time. I'll be there, and I'll wait all day if I have to. Paco, I want to be reconciled with you. Well, interesting enough, the reason it became front page news is 800 Pacos showed up. (laughs) It's sort of sad, rather interesting, that so many people have had an irreconcilable differences with their dads. So many sons saying, even the slightest little bit of reconciliation, I'll be there. I'll be on it. But yet, it didn't happen because there was never that ability to communicate, to say, whatever it takes, I want to be reconciled to you. But the moment there's the slightest little bit, we see we're made in God's image and that desire to be reconciled And so, in Christ, he has reconciled all things to himself. Now, what's interesting here is things. You know, we often say people, and and that's also definitely, we're going to see him talking a minute about people. But right now, he's talking about things. But remember, in the agnostic thinking, God doesn't want to be reconciled reconciled to, to all the things, too. Because they're sinful. But notice Romans 8, verse 19 to 22. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. No because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now so it's interesting that that here we we see that all the things God's made realize that they also are suffering under the sin of Adam. (laughs) That the trees don't quite bear all the fruit they want. That the flowers aren't as brilliant as they want to be. That all of creation, even though it's doing the best it can to walk in the will of God, those things that don't have a free will, they know they are not as brilliant and bright and as fruitful as they should be. But we know that, that millennial reign of Christ is coming, right? Boy, that's going to be an exciting time. A lot of passages in Isaiah, we're not going to look at them tonight. But then we know after that thousand-year millennial reign, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And in those new heavens and the new earth, all things will be done perfectly, and nothing will be groaning anymore. The flowers will be as bright and beautiful more than we can even imagine. The butterflies will be more brilliant. The stars will be more brilliant. The water will be more refreshing. It'll quench our thirst. Have you noticed that? You get thirsty and and, and you just never get it quite perfectly quenched. Have you noticed that? You you drink some water going, "Ah, I need a little Gatorade. Oh, that's too much sugar and you just never quite satisfied. You, you, you sort of try. You got that hunger. Oh, man, I'm so starving. And you picture that perfect steak and potato. And, and you go to the restaurant, and and it was good. But you can imagine a better one, right? Well, there's a day that all things will be complete in Christ. And then he says he's going to bring all things, reconcile them Where? To himself. So it tells us by himself. Now it tells us he's going to reconcile things to himself. This is awesome. God doesn't want things fixed. God wants things to be in him, full and complete. This is so important. Because so often... People want things to be fixed with, you know, 12 steps or 10 sections or a religion or a philosophy or an organization. And and all of these things are not biblical in that they cannot fulfill you. God's desire is not to reconcile you to an organization. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, be right with the organization and you're right with God. And then you get into that organization and they start adding a lot of extra things and you're like, yeah, I'm out of here. Well, then you're never going to be right with God. Right? Be a Mormon. but do everything we say now as a Mormon. I don't know if I want to do all those things. Then you'll never be right with God. That's, that's cultish. You know, we... we want to be the body of Christ, but the church is just as messed up as everything else in this world, isn't it? It really comes down to you and your heart. You can have the perfect worship, but yet you yourselves don't worship. You can hear the exact sermon you need to hear, but yet your heart is not tender to receive that seed to get implanted. You, you, You realize that, It's not a perfect church we need because the perfect church could still not help me. Where is the healing going to come? Where is the reconciliation going to come from? It's going to come in Christ. It's when you have that fellowship with Him, when you have that relationship and that intimacy with Him. So all we're doing here is we're traffic cops. You want to worship? Go that way. <laughs> Go into Jesus. This may sound like a hymn. It may sound like a country song. Maybe something written in the 1800s, and maybe in something we wrote today. All imperfect. But yet, if you come and in Him, you're worshiping at His feet. I love that, that woman who had the demon possessed daughter there in Tyre, outside of Israel. And he, she says, Lord, please, cast this demon out of my, my daughter. And he ignores her. And she persists, and the disciples say, please, go away from us. We're, we're just ministering to Jews, and, and I don't know what we're doing outside the boundaries of Israel here. And finally, Jesus turns to the woman and says, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs she fell on her knees, and it's the word prosukamai, to fall at the feet and worship. Yes, I'm not asking for the children's bread, but when the children are full, they'll throw the crumbs to the dogs. And Jesus just rejoiced and said, oh, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. And that which she desired was done, that instance. So was Jesus thinking eh, I'm going to leave that lady entire and just leave that demon that demon in that little girl was that what he was thinking I don't think he was ever going to leave with that situation but what was he doing in her he was drawing out of her it's you Jesus you're the answer I need you Jesus whatever it is you want I'm willing to take even if it's crumbs because it doesn't take much at your word, that beautiful heart. If you came with that heart tonight, what are the odds of you getting fed? What are the odds of you worshiping? You see, it's, it's you saying, my life's gonna be full in Jesus. Me and my wife, we grew up in a denominational church and sometimes we find ourselves in that and, and to be honest, the church is pretty dead. But nevertheless, I'm just going in not to criticize or parse out or ask, is it as good as Calvary Chapel? I know it's not. But <laughs> I'm just going to worship. I don't want to leave having worshipped Jesus. They don't teach the verse by verse. They don't teach really the meat of the word. But Lord, feed me. And he does. You see, there's just a different heart. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I want you, Lord. And here we got to come to that place to realize it's in himself that he's doing these things. And that it's in him that we have to come. In Ephesians 5.27, it says that he might present her, where? To himself, a glorious church, not even spot or wrinkle, any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In Second Corinthians five, seventeen through twenty-one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us what right, to Himself through Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God is in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Calvary Chapel Red Bluff. No. We're ambassadors of the theological Christian Protestant religion. No, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you you see the heart of God? I want you to come. I want you. Jesus says, I did it all. I finished the work. Why? So you can be in me. It's in my body that I bore your sin, that I can now give you the righteousness of Christ. I'm sure we do that, right? We don't go and and share the Lord and say, now to complete your salvation, you got to start going to church with me. I purposely never invite people to church when I witness to them. If they ask me, I'll tell them where I go. Because it's, it's not about going to church, and I need to give them that concept. That I'm telling them that the, the full fulfillment of their religious experience is now in the church, coming to church on Sunday. It is going to be in the body of Christ. But we are telling them, be reconciled in Christ. It's in Jesus you'll be satisfied I love this passage I was meditating on this week. I I don't know why it came to mind. But Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. I just think of that as reconciliation. Jesus is just saying, I'm trying to scoop up everybody I can and I need your help. (laughs) Everybody in me have my heart. I want you now to tell everybody, like the Father has sent me, to reconcile the world unto me, that they can have that fellowship with the Father through the Son. I need you now as my arms, my hands, my feet to go gather them up and and not bring them to philosophy or theology or an organization or a system of, I need you to bring them and help them to come and see me and to understand that everything I've done is that they could be in me, that they could be filled in me, healed in me that all the fullness they desire is going to be found in Jesus. And notice here again, he says, what does this reconciliation go to? Whether things in earth or things in heaven, material things, spiritual things, all things are going to be finding fulfillment in Jesus, having made peace through the blood of his cross. We often... Forget this fact, that one of the main reasons Jesus came into human flesh, that he could be the Lamb of God, that he could shed his blood for our sins. In Hebrews 9.22, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Now listen to this, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No, taking away of sins. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 to 24, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us they are being saved. It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, but in nothing they understand the burden. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness. Listen to this. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach the blood of the cross. Paul said in Galatians 5.11, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. The message we are preaching, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. He came into human flesh, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Almighty God. It's been prophesied in Isaiah 7, And the virgin shall give birth birth unto a child, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. It was prophesied that God Almighty would be given to us, born into this world as a babe, the Son of God in human flesh. And then it tells us in Isaiah 53, that very thing, that he would bear our iniquity. That the the chastisement of our well-being would fall upon him. And by his stripes, we could be healed well, sounds sort of foolish. It is. It does sound foolish to the nonbeliever. Well, if I go share that, it's going to sound sort of silly. Sir, I just want to tell you that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and he was 100% man in flesh, and he bled, and he died. And the third day, he rose again. And now your sins, which I know you have, if you'll be honest with yourself, they're separating you from God but I want you to know right now that I am an ambassador of Christ. And if I have to, I'll get on my knees because Jesus wants me to plead with you through the blood of the cross that Jesus himself, by himself, for you, (laughs) wants to take your sins away. He's already paid for them. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that now you can become the righteousness of Christ. Now, to those who hear that and believe, and I've shared that just like that with people, and and they're just broken going, what must I do to be saved? And then I've had other people say to me, you're insane. (laughs) I can remember back when I was in college, I worked for a pharmacy delivering drugs. I was a drug dealer for a while. (laughs) And I can remember going to this one lady's house and, and usually it was a group of older people and they had time to talk and I was getting paid by the hour, so. <laughs> and I just started sharing with this lady something very similar. And, and I just said, and, and you, you are a sinner, but Christ paid for your sins. By the blood of the cross, he wants to cleanse you from all your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. And she said, I had never heard such a depressing story from such a young man. Now, I'm a Mormon. (laughs) And then she started to go off on Mormonism. But I just remember being shocked because the power of God was there. I was an ambassador on Jesus Christ. And Jesus' spirit was on me and was testifying to her. And, And she just looked at me going, that is the most depressing Thing. What a horrible, depressing, negative outlook you should have at such a young age. Well, to those who are perishing, it is the foolish. Sounds foolish. To those who are righteous in themselves, good enough in themselves, it's a stumbling block. But to us who can hear the truth, it's the wisdom and the power of God. But it is offensive. At some point, we have the light turned on, and, and, and they, we hear the words that we're afraid. You're a sinner. And your sins are separating you from God. And if you don't turn, it'll be for eternity. That's shocking. You, you know that feeling when you're driving down the freeway and you think, I should probably slow down, and then, "Woo!" and you look at those lights. You remember that feeling? Come on. How many of you guys know that feeling? Okay. Now, the other part, who's unwilling to be honest. Yeah. You need to hear this. You didn't raise your hand. No. I, I just remember that. Oh, that feeling, the terror. The, at that moment when you're being told you're a sinner, and your sins are damning you for eternity, that's, that's offensive. That's scary. That's... But... The law came through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I just told you the truth. Now let me flood you with God's grace and his work. Well, in verse 21, he goes on to say, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. He's stopping and he's telling the Colossians, you, we are ambassadors of Christ. And in essence, we're coming and we're saying, you, I don't know you. I've never met you. I just bumped into you down on the bridge or out on the rock or in the grocery store. But sir, you're looking at a strange face, but you know God's spirit who has been speaking to your heart. The spirits in the world convict him of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. you, you. He says, who once were, past tense. He's talking to the Colossians here. You once were alienated. That word alienated, it means estranged, cut off, separated. But understand this, it's saying it was a persistent and permanent condition. We were once in a persistent and permanent condition. That is not going to change. We were alienated from God. We were enemies, he says, in your mind and also in your works. Your mind was wicked and your works were wicked. Yet now he's done a miracle for you. You are the testimony that God can reconcile the chief of all sinners. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says this, and you... listening to Satan, listening to the, the demonic desires of this entire world that are antichrist, just wanting to be disobedient to God, conducted ourselves in our lusts and the desires of the flesh. I, <clears throat> As I was meditating on this this week, the, the Lord just brought some things to mind. I remember from 12 to 15, my family walked away from God and it was shocking. It really was. We'd raised in the church, and one day my parents said no more. And um, it was a dark time. But I was I, I was brought to mind. I remember my brother had a friend who who really was a pretty dark person. But I remember waking up on one Saturday morning, and and uh, Mickey was sleeping in my brother's bed. And my brother was on the couch or something, and. And he looked at me, and he was a few years older. I was 13, and he was probably uh, 17 or something. And he goes, big smile, look at this. And he shows me the trash can, and it was vomit of alcohol. He goes, man, I came home, and he was so proud of this. It was like a trophy. And, of course, I'm about ready to hurl, and, and, uh, and I just remember him going, and I'm looking at him going, now, now, this is a proud moment. Why? My brother came in, going, "Man, this is the awesome thing. We got drunk and we have a hangover. We threw up. It was just, it was just a rejoicing thing." Again, I, at that time, even though I wasn't walking in obedience with God, God was really dealing with me. And then I remember playing football years later in high school, and and one of the guys came in. It was very, very dark, but. He was telling of his sexual exploits over the weekend. Um, he was a senior with some freshman girl, and and it ended where she was a virgin, but no more. And 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 she was crying, and and uh, and and they were just laughing about it. And I just remember just looking at them, rejoicing in this conquest of this very young girl losing her virginity, and then crying about it, and and just thinking it was such a funny thing. And I I just remember going, Lord, you have saved me from such darkness, alienated, wicked in our minds, wicked in our works. In Ephesians 4.18, and having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Isaiah 59:2, our iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Wow, we are some serious, wicked things. And it says we are enemies of God in our mind, and we are enemies of God in our wicked works. In John 3, Jesus said it plainly in verse 19 to 21. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. We are in the last days. The Bible said doctrines of demons. It will be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be like the days of Noah, where the heart of man was evil continually. This last week, I was watching this thing on the news, and it was basically... Trying a, a medical group trying to fight against not having to pay for the parents helping their eight-year-old daughter to become a man at eight years old. And, and of course, they're, they're, they're just so clear on this. My eight-year-old was born a girl, but she is not supposed to be a girl. And she realizes that, and she's winning this, and it's like, eight years old, thinking about sex at all. I mean, but, but not only is she thinking about sex and sexuality at eight years old, supposedly, but she knows her sex is wrong already. And her parents are so supportive and, and don't want to wait till puberty comes. Right, wants well, to get way ahead of the game by starting to give her t- testosterone at eight and, and running. The, uh, their medical insurance to pay for it. And and, and basically it was, we've got to fight this because the medical insurance is evil trying to keep this girl as a girl. It, it, it's insanity to me. But I know that's my mind as well. I know that God saved me. <laughs> but yet the darkness that we could have gone into, enemies of God, In Jeremiah 17, 9, the verse you know well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as the leaf. Our iniquities are like the wind, have taken us away. You were... I love that. You were alienated. You once were alienated. But now, he says, He has reconciled. Do you realize what he reconciled us from? Such darkness, such perversity sexually, such darkness, aimless, without purpose, without. Giving ourselves to others first unto God as a living sacrifice. How selfish can our selfishness come? How wicked can we become? Well, we see Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the days of Noah. They were unredeemable, and so were we. We were permanently stuck, persistently enemies of God in our mind. We were persistently permanently stuck doing wicked works, listening to the spirit of this age and being controlled by it. The lust of our flesh, all the desires that our mind could think up, just like the days of Noah, how easily it could have been that our heart was evil continually. But he reconciled us. By him, for him, through the blood of the cross, he did it all. It is finished, paid in full. And, well, is it for sure paid in full? It's paid in full. Well, should I should I give a little tip to help out to make sure it was covered? He paid the tip as well. He covered it all. It would be offensive if you tried to add to the check. It's paid in full. It's completed. You have been adopted. Enjoy it. Don't don't worry about it. Accept it. Be one of the kids and and enjoy being in the house of God. He has reconciled us. That, That story of Hosea, remember that story? Where God tells this righteous, holy prophet, I want you to go marry a prostitute. At first, we don't know if she was an actual prostitute, but it was clear that she was a woman that wouldn't be faithful to her husband. That's certain. And so they get married and they start having kids, and eventually they had three kids. And he was the best of best husbands, but she just had this desire to have sex with other men. Now, whether she was getting paid, we don't know because. It ended up that she was in debt, <laughs> and Hosea had to pay off her enormous debts to get her out of, of her situation. So whether she was doing drugs or getting caught and thrown in jail, I, I don't know. But we know that his first instinct was, "Yeah, I, you know, I got three kids to raise here. I'm cutting this off. I'm done." And God said, "No." That does what normal people do, but in this situation, you gotta go and get her. And he pays off the debt, he brings her back. Again, a great marriage. He's loving her. He's doing everything. And she goes out again and does it again. And um, breaks his heart, of course. And 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 God said, Go get her. But she was hard-hearted. I hate you. You holy, righteous prophet, Hosea. It's a grief to live with you. And he just says, you can't stop. You go and woo her and speak to her and love her and do whatever it takes to get her back. And God says, now go prophesy. That's you, Israel. My first reaction, God says, is just to destroy you. But then I hold back. (laughs) My second sense is just to let you reap what you've sown and and give you consequences that will destroy you and your children's children's children. But I'm not going to do that. But what am I going to do? He said, I'm going to keep wooing you to myself. I'm wooing you to myself. And and I know this is going to repeat itself. You're just going to keep being this prostitute. But one day... You will see the Messiah. And when you choose him, God will give you a new heart, and your wondering ways will be no more. I mean, isn't that you? I love that song, that, that that old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, oh I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Man, I, I used to sense God's grace pulling me back and everything in my flesh wanting to run astray. Even now my mind, wanting to, to go after the things of the world. You, you sense the pull. You know the spirit of this age, and and everything in us says go along and get along. Don't don't say that Ellen Degenerate is a weirdo lesbian. She's she's amazing. She's a She's a peaceable person. She's very talented. I I, I know it. She is just a likable person. And if you don't like her, there's really something wrong with you. But yet, the message underlining is that of the spirit of the Antichrist. It is horribly, evilly perverted. We're finishing up here in verse 22 in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Notice it's emphatic. In the body of his flesh. It's redundant. But he's making it clear. It was a body of flesh. It was a flesh of a human body. <laughs> he was a real man. In First John 4, 3, John he prophesies and says, this is what's going to be attacked. In First John 4, 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is already in the world. Boy, the Bible couldn't be more emphatic on this. In Hebrews 10, verse 5 through 14, Therefore, when he came to the world, he said, Jesus, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And bring offerings and sacrifice for sins you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come in the volume of the book that's written on me to do your will, O God, previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings, offerings of sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands, ministers daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he, Jesus, has, past tense, perfected forever forever, those who are being sanctified. In Romans 7, 4, again, so emphatic on this point. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead in the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. In other words, we would never be saved, we would never be fruitful if Jesus' body, his fleshly human body did not die and raise again he says in Ephesians 2.15 he's abolished in his flesh the enmity that is in the law commandments contained in ordinance in Hebrews 10.20 by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh through death Jesus died paying the penalty of our sins. I don't think you can say it better than Romans 5, 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That word without strength just means we had no ability. In other words, if if I were to say to those guys in the locker room, you, a senior, deflowered this ninth grade girl, and she's crying about it, and that's wicked. And for them to look at you going, they start laughing at me now, going, are you insane? You don't want that, to, you don't want to do that? They, they're all looking at me going, how, how can I even think that? I am some legalistic weirdo that, that, that is so twisted in my mind, I can't see how wonderful a story it is. I'm the messed up one, you see. We're without strength. They can't see that sin and wickedness is grievous to God. We have no ability. And in verse 7 of Romans 5, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But listen to this, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. When we were enemies in our mind, we were enemies in our wicked works, when we were permanently, persistently alienated from God, in that time when we rejoiced in our wicked works, following Satan and the spirit of this age, fulfilling all the rest of our flesh and all the rest of our mind, when we were that wicked, Christ loved us and died for all of those sins. In Romans 5, 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, huge miracle, how much more? Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we now received, what? The reconciliation. So he's saying, now as a Christian, you're grieved that you're not more holy. You grieved that you didn't say what you should have said and had the right attitude at that time and, and lived the life you should have lived. And Lord, the things I don't do, I want to do, ah, the things I do want to do, I don't do, Oh wretched man that I am. Okay, that's, that's tough being in this human flesh. We groan, <laughs> eagerly waiting for the redemption of all things. But think of this. As sinful as that may be, as a Christian, we stumble and fall and daily fall short of the glory of God, right? We are still not anywhere near where we used to be before we became conscious of our sin and asked Jesus to forgive us of our sin and to give us eternal life. So if Christ saved us when we were sinners and we were alienated and hateful and evil and, 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 and at that time Christ loved us and cleansed us from all our sins by his blood, how much more now? We are, how much more now? We sin, we struggle, we hate our sin. The righteous man falls seven times and gets up seven times. How much more now will we be reconciled through his blood? And so we have the confidence that even though we struggle and are sinful, notice it says there, he will present you holy, blameless, without reproach, in his side to present you he's talking here like a priest bringing the sheep and and asking that sheep to be inspected so it can be used as a sacrifice he's saying this i'm the priest and i'm bringing you now what would happen when a sheep would be born you'd go out into the flock And and you would find one that looks pretty good. What are you not going to do? Leave it out there with the other sheep. One little scratch, one little bug, one little time it gets sick, it can't be used now. So you bring that sheep into the home. It becomes like your pet. You make sure that it remains without spot, without blemish. To make sure that in, in, in a few months when you take it up to Jerusalem, that you are guaranteed when you take that little sheep and you hand it to the priest that it is going to be approved. But if the priest takes it and go, well, I can't even believe you gave me this sheep. Look at this. Are you going to be shot? You are because you're like, man, I have had that thing in my house. It's ate from my table. It sleeps in my bed every night. I make sure that that thing is cared for because I need it to be perfect in order for it to cover my sins for a year as a sacrifice. But who is it? It's Jesus. He's the one presenting us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with unveiled faces, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by what? The Spirit of the Lord. God is at work. Jesus, in, in Ephesians five twenty-seven, says that He might present her, us, the church, to Himself glorious. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. Uh, uh, that we are perfect to be able to be handed to the Father into heaven. And so um, we are confident since Jesus started this work, it was by Him, for Him, through Him by his blood of a human that he came into human flesh. He said, it is finished. He died, he rose again. And now he comes and we discover that he wanted to make you reconciled to himself. He's the one who wrote the ad. (laughs) He's the one who sought you out and got a private investigator and and brought you to himself. And so now he is confident since he's the one that says what is righteous and not righteous. And he's standing before the Father and he's looking at us going, of course you're righteous and holy and blameless because you have the righteousness of Jesus. And therefore we can be confident that we're going to be blameless and without reproach before him because he is doing it. Well, I don't know. I don't see anybody else looking too holy here or too blameless here or too righteous here. Notice those last few words of verse 22. Above reproach in what? His side. God does does not judge his man, judges. For God doesn't just look on the outward man, but God looks on the heart. And Jesus, through his blood that he shed, the word above reproach means with no accusation. There is no possible accusation that can be brought against us. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to end with this passage out of Jude. Verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with what? Exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. He is able. Through the blood of the cross, it is sufficient. It's been paid in full. There's nothing more. It wasn't, well, we barely got by. We barely had enough blood. Jesus' sacrifice was just so close to my worst sins. That was a close one. No, he did it all. There was never a doubt that the price that he paid would take care of all our sins. And he is able to keep you. He is able to present you faultless. It is no sweat off his brow. It is no struggle in his being to present you without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. Not before us, but before the Father. The Father is going to look at us and say, perfect. Without spot, without blemish. But you're going, I'm still worried. I'm not faithful. It's, it's okay, Jesus says in 2 Timothy 2. I'll remain faithful. Even when you're not faithful. I'm not going to deny that my very nature of faithfulness. But, but I'm looking at myself and I'm not holy. Ephesians 5 says, He's our husband, we're his bride. He is working overtime, every day, all the time, every second, 24 hours of the day. He is there making us without spot, without blemish, holy, blameless. But, but, but I'm, I'm not very righteous. This is why Jesus died on the cross. He knew no sin on the cross. My father, he says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He bore our sins. The the sky became dark. There was an earthquake. There was a sense of all our sins separating from the holiness of God as Jesus bore the guilt of our sin. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So if you're saying, well, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus' blood shed for my sins. I believe that he bore my sins on the cross. But but I'm still so unrighteous. I just I believe it all, but man, I just feel so unrighteous. Let's stop here again. He died on the cross, he bled, he took all our sins. That you would be the righteousness of Christ. So it's just like the adopted kid. <laughs> oh, I, I, I want to feel at home here, yeah, I just don't. I I know that this is my home and I should just open the door and come in, but I just still feel a stranger and I need to knock and ask your permission to come in. We are the righteousness of Christ because Jesus did all of that that we could have faith and rejoice and say, I am righteous as Jesus is righteous. And it will be clear when I stand before the Father on that day and Jesus, my husband, proclaims it. Look, Father. Father. Without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. But do they really live holy? Did they really walk perfect in righteousness? You know they couldn't do it. But but I'm so weak. What does Jesus say? In my in your weakness what? My strength will be perfected. So Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses. <laughs> in my infirmities, in my sicknesses, in my trials, in my persecutions. Because I feel weak, that's okay. Because now I'm trusting God to be my strength. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Well, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Let it go deep, deep, deep into our souls that we would be ambassadors Because we know your spirit is in the world, convicting men of sin and righteous judgment. We know that you, Jesus, are willing to pick up the sheep in your arms and carry them in your bosom. But yet men have to be willing to come. You're crying out all the day long. Your arms are outstretched. Come. So let us be, by faith, people strong in faith, strong in grace, strong in the truth of your word that is unmovable, unchangeable, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one jot or tittle of your truth to be moved. And we thank you, Lord, that you have worked so hard, done so much that we can be reconciled with you. So let us be faithful to rejoice and to proclaim the gospel of the good news wherever we go, that men could be reconciled to you as well and know the joy of your declaration that you stand over us in singing it says in the prophets and we are your precious loving wonderful bride your church that each and every one of us are to have that joy and faith resting in the complete work of your cross the blood you shed, your death and resurrection, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all.